I've been meeting with Spencer Nickel and Pastor Greg for since September. I looked it up. We've been meeting every Monday or Tuesday since September almost and going through books about our own personal journeys and what we're calling is and different things. And one of the books we're reading right now is this book that my son's pastor gave me at my ordination, Dangerous Calling. Okay? So, Confronting the Unique Challenges of Pastoral Ministry. So I'm going to read a little section, and, I brought, and this is addressed to everyone here, because you will relate to something. And the reason why I felt like I needed to take this leave is because I didn't feel like I could serve you well from what I read in the book. Of those who have gathered for worship, there are those distracted by grief, anger, discouragement, loneliness, envy, frustration, despair, or hopelessness. Because the glories that they have looked for to for their meaning, purpose, and inner happiness have failed them once again. These glories have proven to be more temporary than they thought they would ever be. They have been more elusive than they, should have, they seemed at a distance. They have blown up in their faces or dripped like sand through their fingers. And even when they were wonderful to experience, they didn't, in fact, leave their hearts satisfied. The buzz was short and the sanctification, or satisfaction elusive. So they sit there, empty, hurt, angry, and confused. They, worship, they come into worship in the middle of a war that they probably don't recognize. It is a war for the allegiance, the worship of their hearts. In ways they probably don't understand, they have again and again asked the creation to give them what only the Creator can pro- provide. They have looked horizontally again and again for what can only be found vertically. They have asked people, situations, locations, and experiences to be the one thing they will never be, their Savior. They have looked to these things to give them life, security, identity, and hope. They have asked these things to heal their broken hearts. They have hoped that these things would make them, feel, uh, make them better people. So a war rages, and wounded soldiers sit before you. It is a glory war a battle for what glory will rule their hearts, and in, in so doing, control their choices, words, and behaviors. Along with, with this, there really is an enemy who will do anything he can with lies, seduction, distraction, and deceit to keep my heart from focusing on the glory for which I was created to live, the glory of God. So it is a high and holy calling to step into the middle of this glory war, commissioned to be one of God's primary tools to recapture the wandering hearts of battle-scarred and battle-weary soldiers. For others, following this glory, God of glory has seemed to be anything but glorious. They were expecting joy and blessing, and what they got is pain, sadness, and trial. They find it increasingly hard to believe these glorious truths that God is near, that He hears, that He cares, that He is faithful, that He is wise, that He ex- exercises His power for the good of His children, and that he is loving, kind, gracious, and patient. They feel that they've been forsaken. They feel they're being punished. They are being tempted to conclude that what they were taught was true isn't really true after all. They they wonder why they have been singled out for suffering that others don't seem to be going through. They wonder why they pray and nothing seems to happen. They have quit reading their Bible because it it doesn't seem to help, and they find that the songs on Sunday morning seem to be describing a very different reality from the one they live in. They quit asking for prayer for the same thing over and over again in their small group because it it just makes them feel like a loser. 
They feel that the glory that was put before them has eluded them completely, and they don't know what to do about it. So without being conscious of it, they have begun to offer their hearts to other glories, hoping that somehow, some way, satisfaction will be found. Pastor, to these beaten down ones, you have been called as an ambassador of glory. You have been called to rescue those who are on discouraged and awe-confused. You are called to uh, represent the one who is glory to people who, by means of suffering and disappointment, have become glory cynics. You have been called to be God's voice to woo them back. You are placed in their lives as divine means of rescue, healing, and restoration. You have been called to speak into the confusion with gospel clarity and authority. You have been called to give glory-bound hope to those who have become hopeless. You are called to speak uh, liberating truths to those who have become deceived. You have been called to plead with disloyal children to once again be reconciled to their heavenly Father. You have been called to give glorious motivation to those who have given up. You have been called to shine the light of the glory of God into hearts that have been made dark and by looking for life in the wrong places. You have been called to offer the filling uh, glories of grace to those who are empty and malnourished. You have been called to represent a glorious king who alone is able to rescue, heal, redeem, transform, forgive, deliver, and satisfy. You have been called. This is the part that got me out of all of that, is if your heart is in functional awe of the glory of God, then there will be no place in your heart for poorly prepared, badly delivered, functional pastoral mediocrity. So I lost my awe. I read that and I go, how can I serve people who are going through all of that? All of those things, if I'm there too. And that's the other thing we have to remember is pastors are the exact same as you. We have a calling to serve in a different way, but we also go through all of those same things. But I can't provide that or I can't speak through that if I'm not there myself, is how I felt. And so I realized I needed to get my awe back. I need to be encouraged. I need to spend time with the Lord on a more regular basis. Right now I feel like I'm working for God and not with God. And I have to get back to working with God. And that's, I think, how we need to walk our lives, is we need to walk our lives with God and not for God. And it makes a big difference. Earlier this week, I don't know who said it to me, um, but somebody said, and I thought it was great, they said, we have to stop thinking that God comes alongside us, but rather we come alongside God. And I think that changes perspective. It's It's just a couple words, but it makes a huge difference on the perspective. And also the other thing is that in my life I have to realize that not all good things are mine to do. I get presented a lot of things and I go, oh, I can do that. Ooh, I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. You know, and the thing is, Satan will let you do good stuff as long as you can't do what you're called to. He'll let you serve in different ways or do good things, but it may not be what you do. And so it's just a It's a give and take. He's like, oh, I'll give you that much because I don't want you to go to where you're actually called or what you're called into. So he will do that. A couple things I need to clarify, though, is part of this leap. I've already heard rumors about this in this town. So, (laughs) right? We all live here. We know how this works. So, one, Kelly and I are not moving to California to be with our grandson. That's been an over-resolved, I mean, that not... 
No, I'm not moving to California. Nevada's close. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, But no, we're not moving to California. Unless that's what God tells us to do. But right now, that's not the plan. And no, Kelly and I are not struggling. This is... This is not a thing that Kelly and I are struggling. We're trying to re-nurture our, our marriage. No, I'm trying to stop something before it ever happens. You know, my wife deserves a husband to be present in her life. And a lot of times we're in the same room and I'm just off in another world thinking about everything else. I'm sure none of, nobody else here can ever relate to that. <laughs> I figured. So, and then the other... Uh, the other rumor, rumor, you know how you, I'm like, you won't see me on the news. I didn't do anything that will cause me to be on the news, you know. I want to clarify. <laughs> I don't have a little school next door or anything. You know, there's nothing that's going to be in the news. So, but I did do something that I find to be very grievous, and that is I pushed God out of my life. I said, come on, God, come with me. I never asked him to go where I'm supposed to go. I just kept going, catch up, let's go. We got things to do for you. Let's go. Where are you? Let's go. So I'm sure that all of you have had these times in your life when you've done things like that and that you just keep going and going and keep going so fast and so fast. So before I read the Psalm 23, which is a scripture for today's message, I want to ask you guys some questions and I want you to respond. This is going to be out of our comfort zone a little bit, but so what are the, some of the stories that you remember from King's Kids? Well, Sunday school. Noah's Ark, okay, that's a good one. Got Sweet, I was hoping that one would come up. Samson, okay, good. Samuel, great. David and Goliath, okay. What? Joseph, okay. So, so far we're only in the Old Testament. This is sweet. This is what always happens. It's like, it's amazing. We all learn the Old Testament stories. But see, the thing about, the reason I'm bringing those up, do you guys, if you remember them, you know, They did things extraordinary. Every one of those stories had something extraordinary. Noah builds an ark while everybody else is going, oh, you're crazy, dude. You're you're not supposed to do that. And then guess what? He's the only one surviving So with his family. So, you know, and following and following and following and all these extraordinary, Samson, extra strength, you know, all of these different things. Fiery furnace. They walk through it. Okay, so the question I have for you why, when we're kids, do we believe the stories? And as adults, we don't believe God can do that in our lives. Do you know that we are the exact same ability as those people? We have different giftings. We have different things we're called to. We are the same creation. They were all humans in all of those stories. And it's the same God then as it is today. But why, as we get older, do we not trust God as much? Or why do we let our, our ability define God's ability? I think that's just interesting how we've changed. I mean, like in James 5, he refers to Elijah. Okay, so Elijah says, don't let it rain. Pour all the water on my fire. I'll still rain down fire. Or God will still rain down fire. Okay? says, Elijah was a human being even as we are. But he's our superhero. He's our superhuman. We don't think of him that he was just another man. But what he did is he had faith and he prayed earnestly. He prayed and he prayed and he prayed. For Meshach, 
Shadrach and Abednego, they said, our God will, you throw us in the fire, our God will take us. He will protect us. But even if he doesn't, we're okay. And that's the faith that I want. That's the faith I want back. I probably had it as a kid. I think I did. I still remember all those stories. And I, I wanted to make a sling and see if there was neighbors I could take out. But it didn't, I didn't do it because I was smarter than that. I learned the other lesson in Sunday school too. Don't do this. So, but I just, you know, we, we lose that. But, so I'm going to read a Psalm 23. And most of the time we hear it at funerals or it's a song uh, related to Easter or there's just different things. But as I, I noticed earlier, I was listening to... to um, John Piper, and he brought up something that I'd never heard before. And all the times I've sung the 23rd Psalm, I've read the 23rd Psalm, it's one of the, one of the passages a lot of pastors don't preach on because, like, oh, everybody knows it. But there's a very key thing to this. So I'm going to read it through, and then I'll, I'll uh, exegete it for you guys. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, some translations say the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So I don't know if you caught it, but halfway through, verses 1 through 3, he's talking about God. The Lord is my shepherd, he makes me lie down, he refreshes my soul, he guides me along the path. But then in 4, he starts to pray to God, and he talks to God. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Did you see that? How he switched it? So, so many times we can talk about God, talk about God. And that's where my ministry has gotten to. I was talking about God, talking about God, talking about God. But I didn't spend any time talking with God or spending time communing with God. I would get a lot of, the Holy Spirit luckily would help me a lot through that. Or I, all the time I did spend in the Word or different things was within a motive to make sure I was helping somebody through counseling or preparing a message for a Sunday morning or some other requirement for something else. And it wasn't, I wasn't feeling myself. So, some people think that the darkest valley, or the valley of shadow of death, is sin. But I'm going to contest it can't be, because it says that, that God is with them. And he's, he's with them going down the path. And so, in some commentaries say that the, the valley of shadow of death is actually a, a real place. It's a place between Jericho and, and Jerusalem. It's one of the paths that they would take the sheep, and it's a very dark canyon where there would be predators, there would be robbers. You know, here we would think of, you know, the Apaches and stagecoaches. So, you know, same kind of thing. We would think of there's something that could be out here, or you're out on a hike and all of a sudden you hear noises and you go, okay, this is, could be scary. But they don't, they go, I'm not worried about it. I'm walking with God. God's with me. He's going to take me, even though I face my biggest enemy, I'm just going to walk down that path. I'm going to go, and it's going to be great. Because his rod and his staff comfort me. There's nothing out there that can trump God. There's nothing that can supersede his power. So even though I walk through that darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So 
We always have some with us. You know, in examples of 4 and 5 and other places in the Bible is Isaiah 26, 3. You will, keep, uh, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. It gets down to a trust. And then you see Peter. We all know the story of Peter walking on water. And uh, in the song, I will keep my eyes fixed on you instead of the waves. What happens to Peter when he, hits, when he looks at the waves? He starts to sink. So he can't walk on water because he's not trusting the Lord anymore. If he keeps his eyes fixed on the Lord, he can still walk on the water. So we cause our lives to be burdensome sometime because we forget that God is our shepherd. We forget what path we're supposed to walk on. We forget that we should be in uh, communion with him to find out where we should go. So last week I was driving in town and, and I remembered that I, at one point I said, God, I just can't do this anymore. I just cannot do this anymore. And, he, and my, the response that came back was, did I ask you to? It's like, okay, that's a little humbling. Thanks. Almost drove off the road. <laughs> There's a lot of times I pull over because I just can't deal with it. But, you know, I mean, how many times do we do that? How many times? I mean, it's on the back of your bulletin. How many times do we ask God to bless what we decided to do instead of asking him what we should do in the first place? Do you know that when, when God calls you to something and you say, I can't do it, that you're slamming God? When, God? when God went to Moses and said, hey, I'm going to have you lead my people, and he says, uh-uh, I can't do it. Pick, pick Aaron. Don't pick me. I'm terrible. You know, I can't do these things. And God's like, who gave you your mouth? You're telling me it's not sufficient? I created you. You know? And then you look at what they did when it, Moses went away and they were left with Aaron. They make the golden calf. You know, they have all kinds of idols, so obviously God knew what he was doing by picking Moses and not Aaron as the, as the leader of the tribe. So, this is all about rest for me. It's about getting in rest. I mean, God rested. Even God rested in Genesis 2. It's to remind us that we need to rest. We need to trust. We need to be with him. God didn't just make it a suggestion that we take a Sabbath. He made it a commandment. And it wasn't just for us, because I tried that. I tried that. It was actually Charles Peterson who convicted me of not being open on Sundays. Well, he started the ball. I think the Holy Spirit actually convicted me. But he started that. And he goes, when are you going to quit working? I go, I, I'm not working on Sundays. My employees work on Sundays. And then I read the actual commandment. I didn't just look at the short list. I actually looked at the commandment. And it says, uh, let's see. Not ye, well, let's, not you or your male or female servant will work on the Sabbath. Okay? You have to have that rest. You have to take your Sabbath. You need to be refreshed. Exodus 23 already has to reiterate it that we will, so that every, all labor has to cease so that everyone can be refreshed. Mark 27 they remind that the Sabbath was made for man and man not for the Sabbath because we want to work. We want to be busy. We want to be uh, doing things over and over and over. But even Jesus, you think about it. Jesus knew, I mean, he's human. He's also the Lord. He knew he had a short time of ministry. May not have known it was three years, but he knew that his cup was, it was coming. He knew what he was designed for. But even he took rest. And his rest, it wasn't just that he slept. 
He wasn't lazy. But he went out and fasted for 40 days in the forest or in the desert to be in communion with his father. Even Jesus had to rest. Chose to rest. Maybe it was chose. Maybe he didn't have to. Maybe he chose. But he knew that if he was in the right spirit with God, this was what would happen. We would be here today. And that, that's the thing. We need to take that rest. We need to take that time. So I want my awe back. There's a book that Kelly's been reading lately called The Ten Second Rule. I don't know if anybody's familiar with it. But it's one of those things that when you get an impression from God, you're supposed to act on it immediately. Well, within ten seconds or so. And so many times we go, oh, I don't know if I can do that. Or it's not the right time, you know. But there's a little, there was a little uh, excerpt that she shared with me that I wanted to share today. A man was approached on the street by a homeless person. He immediately fell, uh, felt a prompting of God and enthusiastically opened his wallet, only to find that he held nothing but a single $1 bill. So he gave what he had. The homeless man took it, stared at the loan bill for a moment, and then turned and walked away without a word. My friend was angry all the way home until he received the next impression from God. That's what you do with me all the time. You rarely thank me for small blessings anymore. If God stopped loving us and providing for us because we didn't deserve it or appreciate it, we'd all be in trouble. It's pretty, pretty awesome. Probably some of you can relate to that. I mean, sometimes, sometimes I, I get so worked up, I don't even take the time pray before a meal, to pray when I wake up. I just assume I'm going to wake up. I assume I'm going to sleep. And it's out of despair a lot of times that people end up in prayer. How many times do we end up in prayer from gratitude? For no other reason than just to, for gratitude. So, while I'm away for this time, I've already had some people ask if they can talk to me. I am still human. I am will be available to talk to. I love all of you guys. I want to be in communication with all of you. So, please, I want to have life experiences. I want to know things. I want to know what's going on in your lives. I want to spend time. And in fact, part of the reason I want to do this is there are so many people that I used to meet with regularly that I cherish and love that I don't have the time or I don't take it and make it the priority to be with those people anymore. So that's part of this, is to get the boundaries and the life put back together the way God wants it to be, and get the priorities in the right places and the right things. So please, if you want to play golf, call me. If you want to just say hi, or get a cup of coffee, or have breakfast, or any of those things, call me. I'm still available. So also the ePastor News, I know some of you read the ePastor News every week that I put out. Um, that will be scheduled all the way through my leave. The first section will be um, the continuation of the Believe book that is currently going on. There's uh, five or six more lessons left in that. Um, and then there is a section that I'm going to repost that I posted a couple years ago on how to hear from God. And I'll be reading those myself again. Just because I wrote them doesn't mean I remember them. So I'll be rereading those as well. So you can, you can walk at the same time. And then on the back of the letter, there are some prayers that I've asked for from you to help support Kelly and I and our family and the church. And so I would ask that you would take those letters home. 
Put them on your fridge, put them wherever, put them in your prayer closet, wherever that might be, on your vanity if that's where you do your praying before you put on your makeup or after you put the makeup on, you know. So whenever that is, um, do that. And then I want to share one last thing, and I'll wrap up. It's actually a Jewish tradition uh, to talking about the Sabbath. Um, in Jewish tradition, the command to keep the Sabbath holy is followed religiously, beginning at sundown Friday and lasting a full 24 hours until sundown Saturday. Friday evening, as a way to welcome the prescribed unplug, the family recites a blessing called the Kaddish or the Kaddush, depending on um, who you talk to. It's called literally meaning, it, it's literally meaning holy. There's a Kaddish cup that you use, which looks like an ornate goblet that has been glued to a saucer, a saucer that's really important, not only in function, but also in form. When the blessing is recited, typically the father of the family pours the wine into the goblet until it overflows, spilling out. You can get the cup and saucer for about 15 bucks, but you can get what it represents only by living a rhythmic life. The pouring out, the overflow, the blessing. The symbol here, as the Sabbath begins, is that God's abundance cannot be contained. That's what I'm after. Feeling not empty, but full. Living not at full throttle, but at rest. Letting everyone, whatever abundance God has in store for me come in, sit down, and be at home. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you know all, that you created us. You choose to send us into places that we may never fathom that we could go ourselves. That you called all of us to be your ambassadors, not just the people who stand before you on Sunday mornings, but every one of us has a circle of influence. And if we love you the way that we say we love you, we need to share that message day in and day out about who you are and the loving grace that you continue to pour out on all of us. Because we all have struggles, we all have things we go through, and it's through you that all of it can be reconciled. Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, I ask you if there are people here who resonated with the message, that they would have the ability, that you would provide it for them, that they would be able to slow down and restructure their lives as well, Lord. Lord, if they, uh, I just ask you to continue to just, Use the Holy Spirit to guide us. Give us that desire to sit with you and just commune. Just sit and wait for your answers, to listen, and not just always be in a hurry to get through our devotions. Lord, we love you. And Lord, I just continue to ask you to remind this congregation that I love them as well. In Christ's name, amen. And I think we're doing the hymn 641. Yes, go ahead and stand up. We're going to sing the hymn 641, Fill My Cup, Lord. And we're going to sing it through twice.